Rayford Palmer with Rahul Iyer with another episode of the I Just Want This Done podcast. We've got some interesting things we want to talk about. And uh, I'm Rafe Palmer at STG Divorce Law in Chicago. Rahul Iyer, a partner at STG Divorce Law in Chicago. We love talking about all things divorce, business, finance, travel, watches, cars, relationships, whatever. Whatever interests us, we talk about it. And uh, we hope you're interested too. So please give the comments and we appreciate it. Like, follow, share. And without any further ado, I think uh, Rahul, you had some things you were interested in talking about. Yeah, hey Rafe, how are you? I'm uh, good, thank you. Another week, another divorce. So making the rounds here, we have the latest, or one of the latest celebrity divorces here, Ariana Grande. She oh, is, boy. unfortunately, her short marriage with Dalton Gomez is uh, coming to an end, it sounds like. Rumor mill has it that her Wicked co-star, Ethan uh, Slater, I think is his name, is uh, also getting divorced, and uh, they might have kindled something during their Wicked uh, Broadway performances. Oh, so boy. It's, uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, that was maybe her rebound after Pete Davidson, but here we it, are. Is and, it? So how long have they been together? Uh, just a couple of years. Okay. And uh, the, the other question I have is, I haven't heard, because I'm a little older, because I'm Gen X, I have not heard of the husband. What's that guy's, what's Dalton Gomez's story? That guy is like a real estate guy. So okay. he sells high-end luxury homes in, in the LA, California area, is my understanding. And okay. a lot of people thought this divorce, or I should say this marriage, was sort of hastily put together, kind of slapped together. But I did discover, and it's sort of, uh, you know, in the rumor mill that despite all this last minute sort of uh, backyard ceremony type marriage, they she had an ironclad prenup drawn up and she has substantial investments, of course, her earnings. Right. And also she started getting a lot of interest in, in real estate around the country. And so her family made sure she was well protected. And given the short length of the marriage, I mean, I don't think it really matters. But what do you think? So she's not doing a, an MC Hammer deal by blowing all the money uh, right away. It sounds like she's smart <laughs> enough to invest, which is a good call. So you know, um, like, yeah. good, good on her for getting the prenup. And this is where, um, you know, we see these celebs and successful business people getting these prenups because they know better. They know they work. And that's we always get these comments in social media where people say prenups don't work. And we, we see these multi-million, multi-billionaire people getting them because they do work. So. And I mean, what's the option, right? If they don't work, you're left with nothing. You fall back on the law. So right. uh, it's, it's a design. It's a legal tool. It's not something uh, someone slaps together. I mean, the law provides for prenups to be drafted. So that's what people are doing. Yeah, there. I don't know that people realize is actually you know, part of the state law permits those agreements to exist and says they're legal and talks about how they're you know what's enforceable in them and what isn't. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And different laws vary slightly, but most of them have adopted a flavor of what we call the Uniform Premarital Agreement Act. And uh, yeah, California is no different. So it should be interesting to see that play out. If they're smart, they'll negotiate, keep it quiet, get something done. Where, where does it stand right now? I think they're just in a negotiating phase. I think the lawyers are probably working out some agreement. It sounds like to me anyway that both parties just want to walk away clean. They don't have any kids and they've been married very, very for a very short duration of time. So really should be smooth as far as smooth is considered. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, there was, you wanted to talk about Sofia Vergara too, right? Yeah, that's, that's the other one. Uh, that's the big one here because her situation is a little bit more interesting. She is famously married to Joe Manganiello, and they've been married for many, many years, seven years to be specific. And okay. they're one of those couples you never thought, you know, whatever, break up. I think this is her second marriage. Don't know about him, but, you know, it's it's a lot of drama, right? We want to know. Everybody wants to know why they're getting divorced. So, so Rahul, what, what do we know about the Vergara divorce and, like, what's the situation in that one? Yeah, so apparently this is very, you know, uh, not uncommon, I guess, at least these days. According to sort of the rumor mill, and I guess it's not so much a rumor anymore, Joe wanted a child and Sophia didn't. And that's basically supposed to be the main reason for the divorce. They allegedly separated on July 2nd. And they also, of course, have a very strong prenup that pays or provides for spousal support and attorney's fees. And it sounds like they're probably each going to keep their own. They're both very, very wealthy and in the entertainment business in their own respect, probably commensurate with each other. Uh, she's famously known for Modern Family and, and other things, and, and you know, right. he has his own movies and, and things of that nature. So the now, interesting, th- so I do remember what that there's an article I saw when I was searching, looking up some stuff about Sophia, and it was that they were talking. The, this article that I saw, I think it might have been on Fox. I don't know. I just was googling things. It said that you know a marriage shouldn't just be, you shouldn't just jump into it. You should treat it like a job interview. And the point that they were making was, this is obviously having children's a big deal. And, you know, they should have had this conversation where, uh, you know, uh, she they were they would talk about whether or not she wanted to have children ahead of time, because if that's the issue, that's something they should have been discussing up front. And, you, and, you know, know, they're that, not older. So you would think that given their age, this would have been a conversation they had. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely right. So I, I mean, this is so the lesson that's here. I think is something we everybody can learn from, and that's like beyond prenups and everything. It's talk about your values and what is important to you in the relationship early on, and set the understand what the social contract is. Right, like every marriage, every relationship is a social contract, written or spoken or unspoken. And too many of them, people just kind of go into and think things are going to work out and they don't voice what their concerns are, right? Like, right. You want your certain set of deal breakers. Like, this is one of them. This is either this is a zero-sum game, right? Either you have a child or you don't have a child. You yeah. can't compromise and, 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 you know, you could adopt probably. But again, it's, it's, it's one of those things. So you can't have a dog and say you want a child instead. So it's black or white. Yeah, and, there, there's no middle here. You can't compromise on it. Yeah, you're exactly right. If she doesn't want kids and he wants kids, you're in trouble. And it's it surprises people. I think that it's it's surprising me that they didn't have that conversation and maybe I should know better, but I think it still surprises people that folks don't have those conversations, but I think it reveals the truth is a lot of people don't talk about these things or they assume they're going to be okay or they assume they're going to change. And they think, well, I'll change the person or, you know, time will pass. It'll be different. And in my experience, times change. People don't. And if somebody they're like in their mid 30s, right? Oh, Sophia, I was just going to say Sophia's 40, uh, 51 and Joe is 46. Well, then, OK, so that's getting also getting to age where it's like medically risky or beyond medically right. risky for Sophia to have children. 
but they could right. adopt, I'm sure, maybe IVF, I don't know. But the, uh, yeah, I mean, that would seem to be something they would have considered ahead of time. And it sounds weird to me, but there it is. It's interesting you say that, IVF. That brings me, that's very, very interesting because backstory, Sophia already has a child who is, ah. who she had, I think, when she was 19. So His for the kids at home, though, for the folks watching, playing the home game, what is IVF? It's in vitro fertilization. Okay. And that's when you create embryos and then you implant them. Typically, they create, you know, six to 12 embryos. Yep. And they'll implant them with hope, hoping that a couple of them will be successful. When, in- when I was a kid, they called them test tube babies because they were as a brand new, pretty radical idea. And people thought it was kind of shocking that that, that was the state of the science at, t- at the time. But it, it you know, even had a, yeah, you know, they would, they would even rag on people and say, this guy, you know, this guy must have been a test tube baby. Right, I, exactly know, right. Exactly <laughs> right. Like that was a bad but, thing, right? That was a bad thing. But I mean, these so days. Tell, I, so I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. But t- talk about what you're saying about her previous child and, and that situation. Yeah, yeah. So she has this one son. So I think maybe that's one reason why she's like, you know, I already have a child. So yeah. I don't want another one. Uh, but I don't know about him. However, in regards to the IVF stuff, I don't know if uh, our listeners know or if you if you heard, I think back in 2013 or 2014, she and Nick Loeb were engaged. Oh, I didn't know. And, <laughs> okay. So yeah. this is about 10 years ago now. Okay. So they were together in 2013. And so at that time, they were both in their relationship and getting older, decided to get some IVF treatments. Ah. So the two of them created several pre-embryos via IVF at this uh, center called the ART, ART Reproductive Center in Beverly Hills. Now, 2014, middle of 2014, sometime July or so, engagement called off and they they crypto, or I mean crypto, cryopreserved the embryos, which basically you freeze them. Okay. You freeze them at a place or facility and that's that. So, you and know, without getting too much. Sorry, my understanding ahead. is you pay to store those things. I had a case sometime fairly recently we did a divorce where the embryo storage and uh, was an issue and like, who's going to pay for yeah. it? What are we doing with them? And, and one interesting side note that we had to do a little homework on was uh, in Illinois, the father, when they get divorced can basically, you might say disown those embryos. Like the father can say, I am not the parent of the, like if the mother decides to take the embryos to term, the father has the right before that happens to say, I don't agree with that. And you can sign a document to basically say, that's not my baby and not my issue. And I hadn't really, we hadn't had that much involvement with those things in the past, or I hadn't had a case like that in a while. So I had to go do the homework and read up on it. It was interesting. So he's going to sign a document saying that's, those aren't my children if she chooses to raise them. And then we work out how they're going to get be paid for in the storage place. And they, they have right. a whole contract that they have to sign in the beginning with the storage facility. Exactly, exactly. So so that's kind of what happened here, but flipped. So okay. what happens is a few years go by and the ex-fiance, Nick, wants to have the children. Really? So he wants to. That's interesting. And, and so he starts, uh, you know, trying to create, uh, uh, he moves to Louisiana and, uh, files a declaratory action seeking custody of the embryos 
uh, he sets up trusts for them, and, and then it kind of goes around this uh, litigation without getting too into the weeds here. Wow. She fights him in court. She wins. The court sides with her and says they remain frozen. And uh, Loeb, Nick, asserted why he should get custody of the embryos and bring them to term. But they had, like you said, this document, this contract. They call them the form directive Yep. at the fertility clinic that basically says what happens with the embryos in the event of, you know, X, Y, and Z happening. They have yeah. a few different options. So, so how are, you know, so that brings up to the question, right? You just segued into that perfectly. What happens to embryos in Illinois? I mean, you would have, you know, two schools of thought. Some people say, you know, they're living and so they should be treated as children. And, you know, philosophical, political debates aside, you know, courts, if it's children, will look at what is in the best interest of the child. You can't really possibly do that with an embryo. So whether people like it or not, unfortunately, courts will look at this probably like marital property, although no court wants to come up and say it. However, then the division becomes how do we divide this embryo yeah. uh, or who gets awarded, quote unquote, the embryo. So you can't divide it like you would a car. Yeah, I guess we were lucky that in that case, the folks agreed on how it should go. They kind of were of the same mind about which way. If they wanted to sort of so-and-so, I guess, so-called split them, I think we'd be in a big pickle, you know, it would be problematic. But what's, right. do you know that we, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Do we, do you know what the Illinois law is if yeah. nobody does anything? Okay. What is it? I'm curious. Right. So if nobody does anything, it kind of just, you just follow the directive. So they, there's okay. two. So they had two appeals cases that came out a few years ago. One came out last year and one came out back in 2015. The 2015 case, Safransky, I believe, says they have this test. Number one, you honor the agreement. So the courts punt it. Do what the agreement says. Then okay. you sign with the clinic. And if you don't have an agreement, then you're going to, quote unquote, weigh the party's relative interests in using or not using the pre-embryos in the event there is no agreement. I mean, realistically... Okay. You're not going to go and randomly free something in some back room here. You're going to have a contract with this place. So really, it might be a non-issue. But let's presume there isn't one, right? Then they basically had this decision last year, 2022, CATSUP is the name of the case, where they consider factors including, you know, what is the intended use of the party seeking to preserve the frozen embryos and with greater weight placed on the interests of the party seeking to become the genetic parent the demonstrated physical ability or inability of the parent seeking to implant the embryos, you know, so on and so forth. There's about six or seven, or I mean, four or five factors. Okay. Now, really, it comes down to basically, does a person does a person want to have a child? And is it like Sofia Vergara, for example, where if she doesn't have these pre-embryos, she can't have any more children, so she needs to have them. Because otherwise, that is her last sort of ability to have a child, or she'll be without child forever. Right. Physically, she couldn't. So the courts might more favor awarding it to them. But I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, these are starting to pop up more and more these days. Like you said, there was an embryo case you dealt with. I mean, they're always very interesting, you know, intellectually. So I thought with Sofia yeah. Vergara, you have something that's not your traditional sort of divorce, but she has a few other more interesting issues we might not typically hear about in celebrity divorces. Yeah, no, that that's I really think that's interesting. With the, the IVF stuff, I think a lot of people don't realize what's involved with that and uh, aren't familiar with how that works. So no, that's good stuff. So um, I wanted to, so changing gears a little bit, we sometimes when we're gonna talk about dating trends and things we see on the internet on social media that are kind of interesting. One of the things I came across was, uh, there's this whole thing I saw on Twitter about people talking about fubbing, which is like, I had never heard, but I've seen it. And so everybody else has too. It's 
phone snubbing is fubbing. And that's when like you see a couple together at a restaurant and they're both on their phones. You know, they're both sitting there looking at their phone. They're in some nice restaurant and they're just like, you know, staring at their phones and they're not even together. They're both in their private world on their phones. And it's interesting. I did some searching and I found that um, it's kind of funny because uh, Glamour magazine came out with an article online. I know Glamour is not exactly like this detailed, uh, you know, scientific, scientific journal. journal. Right. <laughs> but there were articles popping up. The reason it popped up on Twitter was apparently a new study came out from a university in Turkey and was published in a journal called Computers and Human Behavior about fubbing and its negative effects on relationships. And they did like a long-term or large study about it from a psychological standpoint. And these researchers um, found that it, you know, I guess no shock, has a measurable detrimental effect on relationships, especially long-term relationships. And uh, what's funny is, so that just came out and I found that on a website and we'll put that in the show notes. And then Glamour picked it up, you know, things rocket around the internet. So Glamour picked it up and then it started bouncing around and showed up on Twitter where I saw it. But the funny thing is when, when I searched for it, I found out there's an article uh, from Time Magazine in 2018 online talking like it was, what is fubbing? So it's not new at like what's old is new again, right? So we find out, okay, actually, this is something that's been, I guess, identified for quite some time and and it's been talked about, but somebody finally did some research and found out, yeah, it's bad. And I guess most people would say, well, no shock, you know? So it's, it's funny because you realize these phones have gotten really, you know, gobbling up tremendous amounts of our time. And I'm, I'm on mine more than I like to admit. When you get that notification on Sunday telling you how much time you've spent and it tells me I spent, you know, five hours, six hours a day. Now that's between, I have an iPad also and an iPhone and I do emails and texting and a lot, and I play podcasts and stuff. So, you know, sometimes it, it may seem like it's a ton, but I do so much on it, including work, but still that sounds like a lot to me. Well, I mean, it's uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's sort of like, it's become sort of an extension of ourselves these days, but uh, a few years ago, I think they came out with this, uh, uh, this device called the light phone. Yeah, uh, I've heard about that. It's basically like a dumbed down phone that's like black and white, so you don't get the 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 the, the dopamine hits from having all these bright colors, and, and yeah. so it makes you want to look at the phone and, less. Isn't it basic texting? And isn't it like no app, like basic texting and just calling? There's like nothing fancy, no apps. Yeah, right. It might have like a Google Maps for GPS, but other right. than that, it's got and it's all black and white, so you're not yeah. so interested in looking at your phone. It gets boring after a while. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's unfortunate that these are reasons why marriages are, you know, breaking well, up. It's, it's, like, it's just like anything else. It's if you're distracting from your relationship, you know, we, we probably don't spend enough time with our spouses as it is with work and children and everything. And if on your date, you've got your face in your phone and somebody scrolling through social, it's you're losing. I mean, that is rough. It's one thing to look at it for a minute to see if you're, relative texted you or your kids or something if you're out on a date but if you're scrolling through instagram or something when you're supposed to be talking to your spouse you know we're we're getting in trouble and it's like marriage is challenging enough without throwing this stuff into it and i think it was interesting if you watch there's an old movie um 
now it's old, but I watched it. It was called Avalon, and it was by uh, Neil uh, Simon, I think. It was part of his series of stories, and it's a wonderful story about an immigrant family coming to the U.S. and and kind of the generations of that family struggling and then kind of succeeding in America. But the the gist, or there was a couple significant points where the family was all together, and the extended family was all together, and then as time went on, they show like the invention of air conditioning and TV. And now, every, and then everybody has a home, so they don't come together anymore. And they're, everybody's watching a TV now, and they're not talking with each other at the dinner table. And because of air conditioning, they're not all sitting out together on the porch in the evening. And my dad always would talk about this. And my mom and dad would talk about how air conditioning has actually been bad for families, and so is TV, because it draws people away from communal living, you know, and, and communicating and stuff it's kind of interesting. Well, social, now everybody has a TV and now everybody has a computer in their hand and access to the internet and endless entertainment and looking at somebody with a more interesting life than you, or at least it looks more interesting. The thing that's wild is at any given moment, at least online, it appears that somebody's having more fun than you. That's hard to deal with. Yeah. And that itself, as you know, is uh, gives rise to so many psychological problems and oh, mental yeah. health issues and image problems and con- for kids especially because they think, look at my friend here or look at this person. They live this glamorous life. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here, you know, working or doing homework or whatever right. the child might think and perceive. And it's what, not reality. Yeah, right. When I was a kid, there was like a handful of rich kids in town, you know, and you kind of, and, and the only other people you would see were in magazines and, and on TV. And, and that seemed super remote. You know, that was Hollywood and famous people and stuff like that. So it wasn't immediate, you know. With social, you can see a guy on his yacht like live, you know. And so it, it becomes very real to you. It's, and it's not some produced thing. It's some dude shooting himself on his phone, you know, filming it on his phone. And talk about like FOMO or like jealousy, jealousy and all that stuff. It's, it's, it was with kids, it was kind of like, well, there's one rich guy in town, you know, he's the dentist or whatever. He's got a Ferrari, you know, which was true in my town. The guy with the Ferrari was the (laughs) orthodontist. And, uh, you know, it's, and there were other folks too, like uh, famously Tony Accardo's from my hometown. So, (laughs) but anyway, it's, it's social makes it difficult. There's, one thing my dad always said is there's always a guy with a bigger boat and you know you could see that on instagram in five seconds and and drive yourself crazy with like envy and stuff and that's not real you know right here i am it's hard for relationships because you're looking at other guys and women or whatever and you know online and they're prettier and they're more successful and whatever and but you know and they seem real because our brains can't distinguish real from digital and you're like, here I am sitting here to eating dinner with this person that I'm looking at, and here's so-and-so on their yacht with all these other people. And, you know, you start thinking about that, and you're kind of, yeah, just cause problems, not to mention just being ignoring the other person or being ignored by the other person to begin well, with. Well, and I, I didn't have this stuff until I was well into adulthood. I was in my 30s when Facebook came out in 07, you know. So I already had grown up, but it's even harder for kids that are growing up with these devices and on social. And I, I think it's important to keep control over what kids are looking at and stuff, not just for X-rated content or whatever, but this issue is difficult. Um, but anyway, that's 
So it's just kind of interesting. This this fubbing thing, I think, is a real thing, and it just it's more writ large. It's like challenges to relationships and needing to pay attention to each other and have date night and stuff. The last thing that you'd be doing is draining off that energy, you know, scrolling through social and and people are kind of like the minute they're bored at all, like they, nobody can stand any dead space. Right. The minute there's dead air, they pull their phone out. It constant stimulation. And that is the reason why people are probably walking around tired all the time. Yeah. Your brain isn't getting the natural rest. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell they you, like, it. don't look at your phone an hour before bed and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, next thing we wanted to, uh, I got here is, uh, this is kind of another interesting thing was uh, a new trend in dating, which I, I don't know how new it is, but this is in psychology today. We'll have the link in the notes. Um, there was this article that came out saying, What's the new open casting trend in dating? And I saw this on, on somewhere on Instagram and then led me down a rabbit hole to this uh, article on psychology today. And um, it's, uh, it basically talks about, the, the gist is funny. It says, uh, is it really new or something you should be open to all along? And this hat tip to uh, Bruce Lee, uh, no relation to Kung Fu master Bruce, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, MD, MBA. He um, has a pretty good article about this and says, Bumble predicted that open casting would be one of the six trends that shape dating this year. Well, I, I don't see to me, it's like, what's old is new again? You know, I don't know that there's anything new in dating. The, the apps just kind of have changed behaviors for some people to some extent. And, and the digital world has changed dating, obviously, but I don't know if it's like a trend. So here we go. Open casting basically means being willing to date beyond your type, whatever your type may be. Advertising movies and many other around you may have influenced what you consider to be your type. Social media, like writ large, okay. Your type may not be the best match, which is probably something our mothers told us, right? Or maybe our dads. So it makes sense to be more open-minded and open to possibilities. Well, okay, you know, duh. I get thanks. I get it. And it says, uh, people are making open casting sound like a new trend, something exciting to try in 2023. Well, you and I are married, so we're not trying it. But um, we just like talking about this stuff because it's fun. But they say uh, calling something new in dating will get your attention if you haven't found yet found your real match via matchmakers, dating, happy hours, blah, blah, blah. So it says, is it a sexy new thing to try? Well, yes and no. And then this, the doctor goes on to say, he says, uh, it is the opposite of closed auditions in which directors restrict roles to actors who they recruit. Okay. So, you know, it's basically saying have an open mind, right? And sure that's good and um one thing I, I thought was interesting tying into this so yeah bumble predicts this is kind of funny the post included the following bumbling statistic 38 percent. by the way we're not sponsored by bumble hey bumble we're happy to take sponsorship dollars though just uh, let us know give us a jingle at rayford palmer on twitter um 38 are more open to what they consider dating beyond their tech 38 more than who more than last year i don't know but anyway Bumbles, they get their name out, so good on them for the marketing, right? Um, right, I think that's, yeah. So, okay, so uh, I met my wife at work, my first wife I met in college uh, through a fraternity brother. How did you meet your wife? I met my wife in uh, in, in law school. So yeah, like in person, uh, organic, right? The old-fashioned you know? yeah. yeah, this was before dating apps were a thing, so yeah. even I'm that old-fashioned, even though it's still... <laughs> relatively younger but still old enough where there were no dating apps at the time you know it must be 
interesting yeah. to say, you know, you can pull up your phone and order a pizza, really, is kind of how it feels nowadays. Well, so that ties into something very interesting, which is I read a stat, and I don't have a link here, but maybe I can find one. Um, they're saying one of the problems and challenges of the dating apps is that um, they had a, a stat I read that women, they were specifically talking about women because they, you know, the common wisdom or conventional wisdom is that women look beyond the looks of a guy uh, when making a decision to date them, that they will look at other factors, personality, uh, how nice they are, you know, money, all these other things, right? Or success in their career, et cetera. And uh, what they were saying was the dating apps are wired to be visual because they're all photos. And they were saying like uh, women on these dating, it was one specific app and I can't remember which one it was, but the women were choosing only 10% of the male profiles. And what, what they were saying was some huge majority of the females were choosing only choosing only 10% of the male profiles and the males were choosing like 50, 60% of the female profiles. So it kind of goes against conventional rules like guys are all visual, uh, women are all like look beyond that. Well, because the apps are built this way, it's train changing behaviors. And so a lot of men are finding very little success on the dating apps. Not that they're ugly, but the top 10, like whatever these super handsome dudes are, they're getting all the attention and women aren't paying attention to this huge group of guys that are just fine or whatever, but they're not appealing in their photos and stuff. It must be something in psychology because I do have a few friends, male friends who are who are in sort of the e-dating scene, if you want to call it, that might also date myself by saying calling it e-dating, but uh, uh, whatever the case is, they say it's a thing. They always tell me, hey, you know, it's a numbers game. I will select most of the women I see right. because unless they have some sort of characteristic that I don't find personally appealing, like they might be a smoker if someone's a non-smoker, so on and so forth. So, uh, and then they've told me that women are much more discerning in particular. They, they want to be very selective in who they want to, quote unquote, swipe right or left, whichever the, the, the select, selection one is. Right. So uh, I think that might also be it. Guys are, you know, looking at their phone. They're like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and women are. <laughs> oh, my God. Take so my chances. Yeah. Right. It's a numbers game. You know, one of these will hit, I guess, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, unfortunately, just going back to what you said earlier, uh, this is just kind of a simple thing. You don't want to name your child Bruce Lee and not put him in karate because they will forever be made fun of. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I just I didn't think he was related, so I, I took a guess. But um, yeah, that's funny. And this so, must be the same stud. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I thought that was interesting. So then it is. Oh, I got one last point about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This must be, you know, again, the study, right? I feel like these studies, like fubbing. Must be the same people who did the study. They're pointing out what we kind of just internalize and think is, is yes, of course, common sense. But, you know, it comes out in a study that says, you know, try something you don't like for a change or step right. outside your comfort zone or, hey, don't ignore your wife. They don't like being ignored. At yeah, her. right. <laughs> well, like, you're, not, you're not surprised, <laughs> but it is funny that we, you know, this stuff makes headlines and people are interested in it. It sort of confirms things, you know, that the interesting thing about the, the dating app thing is it kind of goes against conventional wisdom, but it sort of makes sense when you think about right. it in terms of how people are. So I guess the message to guys is go meet women in person, you know, go where, go where they are. So you can, you can show your charm off and not just a few pictures, 
there are coaches that actually will coach you on the photos to take and put on your profile and what how you should write your profile because you know i i'm sure that's an issue where people just do a lousy job putting photos out there and you know it's a marketing thing like anything else and are they putting their best foot forward are they putting a picture of three you know two of their bros on there with them and like who's the which is the guy that's supposed to be on the and you know, is there a more handsome friend in the picture with them, or are they right. holding up a fish? You know, whatever. I've I've read stuff like that, and it's you know. So there, but there are people in business actually making money, coaching. I'm sure women too, but guys on how to structure their profile and write something that is interesting, and then also put up some good photos. So a there's a whole business springing up over that. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> um, endless well there it's tough out there ladies and gentlemen i i know from listening to uh my sons it's tough out there um okay next i uh, wanted to talk about um this this is another thing i came across and, and this was funny or real interesting so i never heard about these folks but um isha ambani ambni and we'll have a couple things in the notes and anand piramal are children of very wealthy people in india and and uh, Anand is married to, or is the son of a uh, very wealthy guy who's what worth about three billion. I think you were saying about earlier. Three billion, yeah. yeah. And Roughly. Isha is married to a phenomenally wealthy guy who's worth like eighty. No, that's her dad. Her dad, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's he's worth like eighty plus billion, right? Right. I think yeah. And uh, they had this famously expensive wedding. So it was back in 20. So I was reading about this and it, it popped up. And again, it, sometimes you never know why people see these things. They come up on Twitter or whatever, and then they retweet them. And, and you think they're new because I didn't hear about it at the time. So I started digging just because I'm curious and I'm, re, you know, anything about weddings, divorces, is, I'm interested in relationships. So I started digging. And I find out they, first of all, it was about how expensive the wedding was. And it was a multi post thread person was talking about it, it turned out when I did a little looking that her father spent a hundred million on the wedding and 12 million on her ceremonial wedding. Basically it's like a skirt, but it's extremely elaborate, right? Um, it's part like a of a religious ceremony. Dress. Yeah. Right. So it was 12 million for the, basically for what we might call the wedding dress. And, uh, so that it made me dig around and I thought of the old analogy, you know, the more money you spend in the ring or the wedding is like the less successful the, the marriage. The other corollary is I can say to folks from, this is from anecdotal evidence only, we don't have stats on this, but many, many times in a consultation, I find out they had a destination wedding. And, and something about destination weddings, I think is like a bad luck thing, I'm not sure. And, and don't worry, don't freak out out there. Don't message me if you had a destination wedding. I wish you the best. There's, you know, hang in there, no problem. But it, it seems more often than not, something with the wedding issue, I don't know, but it happened. Anyway, with this, uh, they spent an absolute fortune. So I thought, I'm sure they're divorced by now. You know, it was a 2018 wedding. I looked them up and they're doing great. So good on Isha and Anand. We wish them all the best. And they've got young children. So, you know, it talk about a power couple. I mean, that's like royalty, right? Right. I mean, you know, you're wealthy or your wedding's a wealthy wedding when you have Beyonce fly down from America to India. I for, forgot. For one performance. 
for one performance, you pay her a few billion, a few million dollars to yeah. go come do it. Yeah, when Beyonce finds the time to come sing at your wedding, you know you're doing it right. That's for sure. Absolutely. I forgot about that tidbit. That was great. Um, yeah, classic. So um, one thing I wanted to mention last uh, tidbit a little bit was there have been some rumblings in the media about relocation of children. So taking children out of state. Came across an article recently about that. And, you know, parents increasingly moving and relocating out of state. And with the divorce, it can be real challenging because, they, you know, if somebody wants to take the kids out of state and move far away, that's hard on the parenting relationship and the parent who stays behind. And so specifically wanted to, I just wanted to mention that uh, the UCCJEA is an important law to understand, Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act. And this is the law that all the states have adopted. I think all of them maybe minus one might be all of them by now. But the law basically provides for child custody jurisdiction. And the idea is to prevent somebody from basically grabbing the kids, running to another state, and filing a divorce or custody case in the other state, hoping they'll get a court order there. They're hoping that they'll get a court order there. And, and then the other person's stuck. First of all, they're challenged because they have to fight this divorce case in another state, spend a bunch of money, and travel there, maybe. And then the person is on the back foot because they might be successful and be able to stay in that other state, obviously now keeping them away from the kids. So uh, the UCCGAA was passed to prevent that. And the basic rule that we wanted to talk about was um, if the kids are in the other state with the other person for more than six months, then that state is considered the home state for child custody jurisdiction assuming there's no court order in place or a case already proceeding. So just word to the wise, if your spouse says, uh, I want to move with the kids to Georgia or whatever, some other state to be with my family, be careful about it going over six months. If they stay there continuously for more than six months and she files a case there, you are in trouble because that is going to be where your divorce case gets handled and those kids are going to be staying in that state you'll get visitation or parenting time, but the majority of the time they'll be spending in that state and the custody and visitation decision will be made according to that state's laws. So word to the wise, watch out if somebody wants to move or they say, hey, uh, since you're working overseas for a while, I'm just gonna go move with my folks in Florida for X amount of time and you know, guess what, it happens. I'm just gonna stay a little longer. I'm gonna stay a little longer and it happens to be six months in a day, you've got problems. So once in a while on the show, we like to talk about some sort of actionable divorce advice. And one thing we've seen recently is a lot of increases in relocation petitions, which is the type of pleading you file in Illinois or in any state, it's called removal or relocation, to move children from one state to another. In our state, it's outside 25 or 50 mile radius from their original location. And there's many factors the court considers in terms of the best interest of the child when determining whether relocation should be granted. And I, we don't have time and I want to bore you with all the details, but we wanted you to get the headline information, which is understand when the, when the issue is there and then always talk to a licensed, experienced divorce lawyer in your area to get advice on that circumstance. So uh, we wish you all the best. Uh, Rahul, any comments on that uh, stuff yeah. on relocation? 
Yeah, just just uh, had a thought because this is like you said, this is a question that comes up, right? You might be talking to a client or a potential client. They'll say, hey, you know, my husband and I are going through a or my wife and I are going through a trial separation. Uh, we're not, we haven't filed anything yet, but she wants to go and live with her folks in California. Yes. Is it OK? Is that OK? We've, we're, we're totally cool. We're amicable. We'll, we'll right. kids will come here. I'll go there. Right. You know, it'll be fine. And like you said, word to the wise. Even she might not know her rights at the time, or he right. might not. Whoever's moving, and then they'll go there and find out. Wait, I can file here, and if the laws in that state are more favorable towards her or you or whatever the case might be, depending on who's filing him or her, then you could actually face some prejudice legally that yep. you might have otherwise. You know, most commonly is this uh, presumption, right? We talk about is there a fifty-fifty presumption for parenting time? We can touch on this a different day, but oh yeah. really. Like, you know, some states give you a presumption of 50-50 and others don't. That's right. Illinois being one of them. So yep. very interesting stuff. You can lose your rights pretty fast. Yeah. So that's that's the thing. We just want people to be aware of it. And, you know, in, in each show, we'll probably try to drop, a you know, a bit about something substantive in divorce law. We don't want to bar, bore everybody, but something interesting, useful you can that's actionable information you can use. So, yeah. So um, thank you very much, Rahul. Thanks a lot, as always, for being on the show. And um, you, we just want to mention, I've got, you know, my book, I just want this done. How smart, successful people get divorced without losing their kids, money and minds available on Amazon. Uh, and it's a paperback hardcover. This is one of the lovely hardcovers and uh, Kindle audible and um, where all great eBooks are sold too. you can buy them at Barnes and Nobles Nook and any of the eBook like Apple books has it too. Uh, Barnes and Noble, you can get hardcover as well. So it's all over the place. Um, like, follow, share. Uh, please comment. We like the comments. Appreciate it. Follow us on social media. I'm at Rayford Palmer on Twitter. Also at Rayford Palmer on Instagram. And uh, we have a Illinois Divorce Support Network on Facebook, private Facebook group. No charge to enter, uh, at least at the present time. People ask divorce questions in Illinois. We answer the questions. And I'm at Rayford Palmer on TikTok. We'll have links too. And, and Rahul, tell us about your social links too, real quick. My socials are at Chicago Divorce, plain and simple, both Instagram and TikTok. Awesome. Hey, thanks everybody for watching. And that's the pod.